Prepare to hear the truth from a real whistleblower and American patriot. Here's civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and indefinitely suspended FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show for Wednesday, the 22nd of March, 2023. The FBI cannot just get out of the news, and for those of us former or recovering FBI agents, it feels like an ex-girlfriend who just can't stop texting us, or calling, or getting into our business. Nothing would make me happier than the FBI stopping what it's doing, but instead, it continues to double down on the reasons why we broke up, which is stupid almost every single day. I'm going to embrace this situation, and I'm going to give you some information about the difference between the public perception... Maybe only for the leftists. I think many of you probably know better. And what the FBI really does with its time. And hopefully that helps shed some light. I'm going to also do a little bit of a public service announcement about your social media. I'm seeing some behavior that I think is worth noting. And we're going to use a special case that should really make your blood run cold. This is a First Amendment case that's absolutely terrifying. And it's been going on for two years. Only starting to get a little bit of traction. I've actually been aware of it since it started it bothers me to no end. So I'm going to share a little bit about the curious case of Mr. Mackey. Um, and since most of that is pretty darn depressing, I'm going to end on a high note with some good news out of California for gun owners. So that's not nothing. Uh, stick around for all that. First of all, we're going to talk a quick word from our sponsors, which is PatriotCoolers.com. If you haven't been to PatriotCoolers.com, check them out. Go look for their hot and cold tumblers. Check out their hard and soft-sided cooler options. They've got some uh, backpacks that you can use to keep things cool as you move around. You've got uh, all the, the standard sort of tumbler options and coffee mug type shapes and bigger stuff. I'm actually using uh, the original one that I've got. It's got a dead air thing on here. This is from my silencers. This is from a buddy who's in a special operations unit from the Air Force. And uh, I've had this thing since 2017. Number one, I haven't lost it. That's really impressive. Number two, it's a fantastic piece of equipment. It allows me to put a little uh, drink straw in there, which I like when I'm doing a smoothie. If I'm running a cold beverage, uh, works great for hot stuff too, but I tend to do this one because this is a lot of volume of coffee. Uh, even for a surveillance guy like myself. Um, and I'll tell you what, if any of you are buying these hot and cold tumblers, if you got a cooler and you fill it with some elk meat, as one of my buddies told me he's going to be doing pretty soon, uh, any of those kind of things, send me a picture. Send it to me in the DMs on Twitter, and we will uh, we'll add it on here, and we'll put it a little promo together of, of listeners of the Kyle Serafin Show using their Patriot coolers. I'd like to see that. I already know I've got a couple of cops that are across on the East Coast that are going to be sending me some pictures of using it on surveillance. It's a great tool. So check that out. You can use promo code Kyle, and you'll get 10% off. Plus, you'll support our show, and you're making a difference for disabled vets. They offer uh, some percentage of their proceeds to disabled vets, post 9-11 guys and girls who need a little handout that's going to figure out how to make their homes a little more accessible. So check them out. And uh, we really appreciate you supporting our sponsors because they're supporting us. Uh, Patriot Coolers, again, promo code KYLE for 10% off. And if you spend more than 50 bucks, free shipping, it's really easy to do. Even two of these things, buy one for yourself, buy one as a gift, check them out. All right, let's dive into a little bit of what has been going on in this world. And there are some wild things. And I'm, I don't know what else to tell you, except it's not great news. The only good news is that uh, Matt Gates, the congressman from Florida, who for some reason follows me on Twitter, which is quite funny. Uh, maybe he listens to the Kyle Serafin show. Matt, if you do, Hit me up. Let me know. 
Um, I'm going to share with you a little story that he introduced. This is coming from Daily Wire. Um, if you haven't noticed what I like to do here, I like to use the reader function. This is a little pro tip for you all. As a federal investigator for the FBI, we have unlimited money to go after certain types of people. But what we don't have is money to pay for subscriptions behind the paywall of the New York Times and the Washington Post and some of these other types of uh, things. So what I like to use is the reader function. If you're using a Mac, uh, you can go and you can click on a thing. It looks like a piece of paper up in the bar, and you can actually read all of the text of fill in, your bl- fill in the blank stuff behind the paywall. Uh, it also streamlines the reading experience for most people. So um, Anyway, something you could do is that's what we're seeing here. If you're watching our Rumble channel, that's what you're looking at right now. Uh, so the article is entitled, Matt Gates announces resolution dedicated to stopping FBI headquarters funds. I don't know if it'll pass, and I don't know if anybody in the Senate cares, but this is something that should be done. Uh, this is being reported on by Daniel Chaitlin uh, um, on the 21st, so just a couple days back. Uh, no, that's yesterday. <laughs> And uh, so what does he say? It says, Matt Gaetz, Republican Florida, announced on Tuesday that he is introducing a resolution that calls for the halting funds dedicated to the FBI's next headquarters over concerns about the politicization of the Bureau. The congressman specifically decries the FBI's Washington field office. That's my former home. Um, in the business, Washington field office abbreviated WFO, also known as worst field office. Just how we know it inside the bureau, uh, which Gates said is weaponized and rotted to the core. Again, rotted to the core is that uh, term that uh, Jim Jordan likes to throw around or that phrase. And it comes from Gerardo Boyle, my buddy, a fellow suspendable. Uh, also who sat in on uh, this sort of uh, debrief that went down uh, this deposition um, in Congress, or I guess it was in the Rayburn building that Gates was a part of when they uh, debriefed Garrett. Anyway, uh, so Gates acknowledges there are still good men and women in the FBI whose purpose and task, sorry, whose task and purpose are to defend the United States. That's obviously true. You know, we're talking about an organization with almost 37,000 people. There are clearly good people in there. It'd be absurd to smear all of them. That doesn't mean that the FBI should get a new building, and it doesn't mean the FBI should continue to exist, right? Um, I tried to liken it the other day to an analogy. Let's say you went to a discount grocery store. And you got fantastic deals. Everybody who went in there got a great deal. But one in 20 people were electrocuted and needed to be hospitalized because of faulty wiring in you know, one of the displays. If one in 20 people were being wronged, seriously, would that be a good reason to keep going in there for the possibility of the discount? Just because something is going right doesn't mean you continue to do it when enough of it is going wrong. And there's a lot of things going wrong at the FBI. And we're going to talk about some of those in a little bit here, too. So I think Gates is on to something here. He says uh, the, the act that he did titled the FBI Washington Field Office House Arrest Act. I don't know why he called it that, but that's what he called it. Gates' resolution outlines a number of alleged misdeeds by the satellite office, uh, including targeting parents critical of school board decisions. That's obviously true. That's things that we have pointed out. There were more than two dozen cases that Garrett brought to the attention of Congress, and the names of the subject of those investigations are with Jim Jordan's office. So that's been done. There's no debate about that. And the FBI opened up investigations on people under that threat tag. Uh, Also mentions colluding with private sector companies, including elections uh, or during the elections to censor information. This is going to be the Twitter files. Matt Taibbi's great work, uh, Schellenberger and uh, Weiss, and uh, who's the other one? Lee Fang. 
So uh, there may be one other in there, but uh, some great journalists from the independent uh, sort of world getting after it and showing the collusion with Twitter and obviously probably the rest of big tech was also involved in this sort of thing. So we got a little, um, we've got a little tweet from Matt Gates. That's fine. And says the resolution ultimately urges the GOP led house to rally around the sense that no money should be appropriated to the general services administration or to the federal Bureau of investigation to either plan or acquire property for a new consolidated headquarters outside of DC. Seems like his real issue is $375 million, $375 million from last year's omnibus, which was set up to buy the space and start building this construction. They've been talking about this since I joined the bureau. They were going to move it to Maryland. They were going to move it to uh, to Virginia. Uh, people in Maryland are, are attacking people in Virginia and vice versa. Uh, all of them vying for this huge chunk of federal money. But the gross thing is, I think in many ways, is that uh, that's a huge chunk of money. And if you're ever going to move the FBI headquarters, you should move it to America. Get it out of D.C. There's no upside to it being there. Apparently, the director of the FBI can fly back and forth in his private jet whenever he wants. So it's very easy for him to just pop into D.C., go to Reagan National, where he loves to fly anyway, you know, take a 10-minute car ride, go and testify in front of the Hill if needed, and then he can go back to where he works in Kansas City or in Omaha or Oklahoma City or anywhere in America that's somewhere in the heartland so he can get a sense of what regular people are like and stop being around all these swamp creatures and think that it's normal for people to make $10 million a year as an attorney who does some sort of lobbying work, whatever that is. So anyhow, um, Gates says that through our investigations with the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government, we've uncovered extremely disturbing testimony from FBI whistleblowers at the Washington Field Office targeted Americans who opposed their political agenda. This is obviously the case. This is what is going on. This is the world that we're dealing with. And, uh, and that's pretty gross. I don't think anybody should want that. I don't think anybody should be uh, accepting of this sort of uh, behavior by the FBI. And we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the other awful things they're doing. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to skip ahead. I want to talk about a uh, a piece that came out from the Heritage Foundation. Apparently, the Heritage Foundation has this little subgroup called the Oversight Project. The Oversight Project tweeted out something. I'm going to show it to you briefly so you can take a look at what we're looking at here. Um this tweet, which was on March 20th, if you're not following, it's Oversight PR, that's O-V-E-R-S-I-G-H-T, PR, like um, Public Relations or Papa Romeo, if you are a NATO phonetic type. And it says that the Heritage Foundation's oversight project obtained records from the at FBI showing agents in the Washington field office. This is my old office worked nearly 16,000 more hours after January 6th than during the BLM riots that ravaged the nation's capital. All right. I'm going to go back to a full camera here and we're just going to talk about that for a second. So what they show in this particular um, little snippet that came from a lawsuit they were able to get this under sort of like a foia type request or something they sued the bureau to release it all right um the bureau uses a time card system called webta webta as far as i recall is actually owned by the company that does uh, the time card keeper called chronos i actually use that at dell in 05 so it's, it's a long time company there's nothing magical about it but the bureau does something that a lot of employees don't have to do they actually log their time against specific threat codes known as TURKs, T-U-R-K. It stands for time utilization, and I don't know what the R in the K stands for. It doesn't actually matter that much. For what we're talking about, TURKs are an alphanumeric that tag to specific types of threats. 
And I don't know what the cla- why they uh, people always act like they're classified, but they might actually have some sort of classification to some of them. I don't understand why. Uh, but they're like, you know, a number, three-digit number, you know, one, two, three, X, and one, two, three, X means certain things. And one, two, three, Y would mean something else. And one, two, three, Z would be a different variety of those. Well, the thing that I've mentioned that people need to be looking at are 266, 266 X-ray, whatever the, the code is after it, specifically Oscar. So 2660 is the anti-government, anti-authority, violent extremist tag. These are not criminal investigations. But that's what I'm seeing January 6th stuff being tagged under. These are counterterrorism designations. Uh, the 266 in general are the violent extremists that are domestic. So take your pick of what they are. White supremacists, anti-abortion protesters, you know, they use these things and they are tagging them as though these are um, possible terrorists. I want to know how many of those 16,000 excess hours are 266 investigations. I, I suspect all of them. Uh, but here's what they actually revealed. On they grabbed the time sheets from the pay period of what is that, uh, May 24th and then June 7th, June 21st, uh, July 5th, and so on. And what they found is that there's roughly 70,000 hours a week or during that two weeks that are billed against all the WebTA pay. And I'm assuming that these are agents the way that they've got it set up, but it's not entirely clear actually who who these uh, WebTA Turk codes are set up against. 74,000 hours um, on 524 of 2020. On 529, uh, President Trump was forced into the bunker in the White House. So during that pay period, halfway into it, in the early part of it rather, because that's in the first week of it, we had historic riots in dc at least damage was done to historic buildings i guess we could say in lafayette square and st john's church was burned i was there the day after this happened like i said the 29th they sent president trump into the bunker and the left cheered there were approximately maybe three thousand excess hours worked during that pay period compared to normal and then we've got basically right back down to 70,367, 71,800. It kind of, that's kind of within the regular range of about 70,000 hours per week. That continues on during that time period. Now let's look at January 3rd, 2021 is the pay period. Three days later, January 6th, 2021. And then the period after that, which is 117. So that goes all the way up until the end of January. So basically the entire month of January, 2021, the first month we had 81,000, almost 81,500 hours were worked. And the next week, the next period, 86,200. So that excess counts for that 16,000 hours. If those hours are all worked on the same type of case, if there was nothing else going on and there's no reason to believe otherwise, and they're all working non-criminal investigations, 266s, that should be a real big problem. Now, here's the other thing that the FBI is going to do, because the FBI does this all the time. Let's say you work counterintelligence and you're working under a 200 code. They will ask you to work 200 codes, even when you're not doing 200s, which is time card fraud, because the special agent in charge is incentivized to work X number of hours, have X number of man hours attributed to their specific type of work. So if you're a counterintelligence agent working on counterintelligence cases, but you spend two weeks on a TDY somewhere else doing something else, like that's going to be a strike against the total number of hours worked for that special agent in charge. 
particularly at Washington Field, where they have five special agents in charge and one assistant director above them. Most field offices only have one special agent in charge, and everybody rolls up to that guy or girl. Uh, more, more and more women are running field offices, which is bizarre, considering how many females are actually in the bureau. It's not that many. And the number of them that are in leadership is vastly over. It's it's way more than ought to be based on the numbers that actually are represented in the agent population, from what I can tell. And certainly when it comes to competency, um, I don't know why it is that women in the FBI, there's a few women that I would trust. I trust them as much as anybody in, in the whole, you know, um, government apparatus. But I'll tell you what, it's like two women that I know. Not very many men either right now. <laughs> so we'll be fair about that as well. But I know more men that I trust. This little uh, weird snippet, and I'll, and I'll kind of punch it over here for you to look at. If you're watching the Rumble channel, you can see this is, and it's unfortunately not very well centered, but these are the hours. Um, and they are, they are definitely disproportionately favoring January 6th versus the response to the BLM riots, which is exactly what I've been saying for a while now. Um, nothing fancy or new is disconcerting. Uh, if you're not following oversight project, check them out. I think that, uh, the stuff that's coming out there, I've been talking to some of the folks that work within it at heritage and, uh, they are doing some good work. So I'm, I'm hopeful that it's going to come somewhere out there. Um, I'm going to go backwards in time just a little bit or a little backwards on this. And I want to talk about some of the narrative coverage that's going on. It's not just the seventh floor of the Hoover building, which is what you kind of hear from the Sean Hannity types. And if you've been paying attention, you get to sort of like, you know, there's the good men and women of the FBI. Obviously, Gates has to feel like he has to share a little bit about this. But I want to talk to you about the public perception, which is very different than what the Bureau actually does. Most people assume, and I probably have to say this a few more times on this podcast, they assume the FBI is a law enforcement agency. And I'm going to tell you it's not. It is an intelligence agency. The FBI is an intelligence agency that has law enforcement capabilities. Because the majority of the work and the majority of the focus and the majority of the people getting promoted to the highest levels of the Bureau have a background in working intelligence investigations. Intelligence investigations do not require a criminal act to predicate an investigation. This is incredibly important to understand. If people, even on the left, who are defending the FBI right now, for whatever reason, and they are, if people on the left could understand that the Bureau has no love for them, it has love for doing the mission that it gets paid for and continuing its salary so that it can get a retirement. That's the, what the people in the Bureau are doing. It does not matter if they go after the left or the right. It just turns out that the right is the um, the target du jour of the moment. All right. So a intelligence investigation is a circle. It goes around and around once it begins. It continues to generate information and it spits off information and tangents and it continues to keep feeding itself for its own sake. A criminal investigation is linear. Something happens. A crime. We figure out who it is. The subject. We get evidence. When it's enough evidence and it looks like that person is in fact guilty of the thing that they are uh, known to have done or believed to have done, then we can either indict them or we can use a criminal complaint. They are arrested. They face those charges. They go in front of a judge. The judge tells them what those are in an additional appearance. They go to a lawyer. The lawyer decides whether they're going to plea or they're going to fight it in court. There is discovery as necessary. The information is presented to them. They either get to make a um, defense or they don't because they've pled. Most of them plead. If you go up against the FBI, most people plead. That's just what happens over 90%. It might be as high as 98% in certain areas. And then it ends. If you pled out, you go to jail, you serve whatever your sentence is, you get probation, whatever. 
if you are acquitted, you're done. Um, you can always appeal the sentence, but for the for all intents and purposes, that's a linear progression. Intelligence agencies don't need to have an end result. The end result is information. The end result is also the input to the next circle. So it continues to go around and around and around. This is a fundamental difference that people have to understand. When you have a intelligence agency with law enforcement capabilities, they can rebuild these things through parallel construction. I know I talked about that last week. It's worth noting. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to the week and find out about parallel construction. But once you know something, essentially you cannot unknow it and you can build a case knowing that it's already there. You can go find what it is. It's so much, imagine if you were, in fact, there's actually a story in the Bible about this. Uh, you know, a man finds a uh, treasure in a field. And so what does he do? He knows it's there. He knows the treasure is there. So he goes out and he sells everything he has to buy the field to own the treasure. And then he's made whole, right? In the same way. The Bureau will know something because of some intelligence process, whether it's 702 or FISA or any other of the uh, you know techniques that, that fall underneath the sort of collections they can use on the national security side. National security letters are a secret subpoena and so on. They go and rebuild that on the criminal side. Parallel construction. It's allowed to happen. It shouldn't be. This is why you have to divorce these two. That's why the FBI's domestic intelligence mission must be destroyed. I'm saying it again. It must be destroyed. Someone asked me on truth today. They said... Uh, or yesterday, I guess, they said, uh, what, what is your position on 702? I will be very, very clear. It's my position. It's George Hill's position. People who have used this thing professionally, it has to go away. It is a tool that cannot be used legally under the circumstances for a law enforcement entity. It's got to go. So if you're not lobbying your Congress people and letting them know that renewing 702 is a no-go, you need to let them know that. The Biden administration has made it a priority. Why would that be? Why would the Biden administration be so comfortable um, doing something that is so dangerous and can only be used improperly? And the only answer I can think of is that they want to keep their pit bull, that the FBI is acting on their behalf right now, and so they're going to keep it. But the FBI violates the civil liberties of people on the left and on the right. They do not discriminate in that way. It is far more on the right at this moment, but that is not historically the case. Historically, they've been very comfortable destroying civil liberties on both sides. And we're seeing some of that spill over into other people's thinking. Um, some of this is because of President Trump, and he broke so many brains. Some of it is because of COVID, because so many people just were able to roll over and accept what they were told and do what they were, you know, what was uh, suggested to them. It's worth noting the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, on uh, either Monday or Tuesday of this week, got up in front of a camera and stated that based on the idea that Trump may be indicted uh, by this guy, Alvin Bragg, who's the, the prosecutor in Manhattan, based on the possibility of that happening, the city of New York, and I assume it means their police department, are monitoring social media in direct violation, in direct violation of the First Amendment. There's no allegation or information that a crime is going to happen, but they are monitoring social media this is not acceptable in this country. We cannot accept law enforcement doing this sort of thing. And they are doing intelligence work when they are doing that. They are not going after a specific crime. They're going after the potential of a crime existing. And pre-crime, despite it being a lot of fun from the Philip K. Dick novella, uh, The Minority Report, which many people saw as a movie that Tom Cruise was in, this goes back to 1956. He saw this as a dystopian possibility that when you try to predict human behavior, there's always one variable. It's called free will. And if you're a godly person or you're someone who believes in free, free will is uh, given to you by God, the creator, this is a real problem. You cannot hold people accountable for things they didn't do. 
And essentially, even the conspiracy charges, I feel very uncomfortable with the idea that the government is able to say that this conspiracy was going to be the case, that actually planning to do certain actions is a crime, because the crime itself is never committed. And what if government actors are involved? That's when it gets really, really spicy. If a couple of people are proven to have done something and we interrupt them before the bank robbery ever happens or before whatever this particular thing is, this conspiracy to do this federal crime has no government involvement other than they were aware of it, they found out about it, and then uh, they arrested them before it happened, maybe that's fair play. But more often than not these days, criminal conspiracies involved knowing about them because there are federal instigators that are involved. There are federal informants or there are undercover agents that are that are part of it from any, you know, whether it be DEA or FBI or ATF or you take your pick, anybody that is involved in that game. That's a really, really scary game to be playing because you are now saying that under no circumstances could that person have backed away from that idea or that group of people could have backed away, that this was a, such an imminent thing that it had to be taken down before it happened criminal conspiracy. That's pre-crime. That is enforcing a crime that has not happened, enforcing actions on violating a law when the when the actual underlying predicate action has not actually taken place. Very dangerous stuff. Um, anyway, <laughs> Adams has got the talking points. He's doing the FBI routine. I want to show you something else that's doing the FBI routine right now. This is the good men and women problem. So uh, the good men and women of the FBI are, they retire. Many of them have been in touch with people like me and Steve Friend, who's a friend of this show, and been very supportive. And some of them are like this. This is something that I posted on Twitter because I thought it was necessary. I, um, I'm going to call them a whistleblower, but a, uh, a, a retired agent reached out and sent this over to me, someone who has still direct contact with a lot of things going on in the Bureau, and then also has something to do with this society of former agents of the FBI. And this is their newsletter that they put out to their chapter chairs, which are the people that are running all the regional little groups of this. Uh, the Society for Former Agents of the FBI is also known as SOCX FBI, SOC, the letter X, FBI. And I think they have a SOCXFBI.org if you want to go visit their thing. Uh, that's where their page is. So this is what it says. It says, below are the updates regarding select issues that the board of directors should be aware of and may want to disseminate to chapter chairs. The information should also be beneficial for answering questions. The most significant ongoing issue will be the pending congressional hearings headed by Congressman Jim Jordan. And these are the issues that the Society of Former FBI Agents thinks are relevant for their members to get the following talking points. This reads like something MSNBC could be reading on their nightly newscast. Agents taking a knee during demonstrations in Washington, D.C. in June 2021. Oh, interesting. We just talked about that. Didn't work any extra hours there. Here's the story as they, they say it. During the BLM demonstrations conducted nationwide following the death of George Floyd in June 2020, agents from Washington field office were mandated by the attorney general to protect federal property and buildings in Washington, D.C. I'm just going to go out there and tell you the, the position that should be taken about this is that this should not have happened. FBI agents are not good at protecting property. We have no training, experience, or mandate to do such things. We don't do pre-crime. We don't pre-pro... <laughs> what is it? Pre preemptively stand in front of buildings to make sure that they're not injured. That's not a thing that FBI agents do. They're investigators. The, the job code is 1811. It's criminal investigator. That means there has to be a crime. So be it. Anyhow, these uh, these guys go here. The agents were harshly criticized by their peers for their actions. Yeah, they were because they put us all in danger when they did what they did. By dropping a knee, they showed compliance to a mob. That's incredibly dangerous. They were subject to internal review. 
The FBI Agents Association provided the agents with $100 gift cards as a gesture of support during the internal review. It was intended for agents to take their families to dinner as a stress reliever. Most or all of the agents had returned the gift cards. Do you know why they had to return them? Because they're not allowed to receive a gift more than $20. It's a de minimis or nominal value. So they were given the gift and they had to return it, not because uh, the Agents Association didn't agree with it. It's because it actually violated FBI policy to receive such gifts. But it did look like a reward to those of us who were sitting in the same office, who did the same thing and didn't drop a knee. And guess who's one of those people? Yours truly. I was one of the people sitting there doing that thing, right? I was involved in the same exact type of work. I was marching around for no reason with my squad in the dark. And it's not a big deal. And it's not what we normally do. In early February, uh, whoever this person is that's the writer, this woke activist inside the Society for Former FBI Agents, received a series of emails and calls regarding this matter, and that's why I want to address it. In early February of what? Of this year? (laughs) Two years later? Okay. Three years later? Whatever. The issue came up a few times on regional calls, but it wasn't a returning theme. Here we go. Now we're going to smear somebody else. So former agent James Gagliano wrote about this issue of politicization in October 2022. All right. James Gagliano is not a former FBI agent, as he and I had a short conversation about this. He is a retired supervisory special agent. He retired as an SSA, a GS-14, and he retired, not former. Former is people like me. They didn't finish 20 years or they didn't get to retirement. It's a different animal. (laughs) Jimmy Gags did the time And he deserves the respect, but he doesn't get the respect because he's not agreeing with this narrative from this group. And I think that's really important that they defame him in that way or they are slighting him. And the only people that know it are people that are FBI agents because we know the difference between former and retired. And it's a big difference. Same thing for those of you in the military. You understand you can be ex-military, you can be a veteran, or you can be a retired at a rank. If you have that retired at the rank, it means you went a certain distance. It means something to the people that were inside of it. It means something in this particular case, too. Um, says in addition, Nicole Parker, who the suspendables refer to as FBI Barbie, no big deal. Uh, an agent who resigned, wrote a letter published in the media in January entitled why I left the FBI. I think she actually did it earlier, but that's fine. No doubt. These articles were a cause of concern for members who have since raised the issue among other things. G <laughs> they call him G that's funny. Jimmy gags and Parker accused the agents of expressing political support for the demonstrators. That's what they did. Now, whether they agreed with that thing that they did is another animal. They did a gesture of support, whether it was for de-escalation or otherwise, is sort of irrelevant because the thing that happened was that they showed support for BLM on duty while wearing FBI equipment. So this guy says, I neither condone nor do I criticize the agents. The agents are not trained for crowd control. This is actually true. In this location, I believe there were 23 agents. I understand they dealt with between 800 and 1,000 demonstrators. That sounds very exaggerated from what I saw walking around, but maybe there were that many people. It doesn't really matter. You're 23 armed federal agents. You don't put a knee and put yourself at risk. You stand up because not everybody did it. And nobody did it except for that group on that day, which was composed primarily of counterintelligence agents, intelligence agents, not the ones who do normal criminal investigations that are used to seeing bad guys. This is not a good decision. And it was a bad decision by the management and a worse decision tactically on the ground. Um, It was a very stressful situation. So this person now decides to cover all this stuff. The agents choose to take a knee to de-escalate the situation. Deputy Director David Bowditch spoke about to each of the agents. Everyone told him they took a knee to de-escalate. Not everybody there was kneeling. 
even in that picture of the Neil Team Six, as we call them, not everybody was kneeling. The FBI Agents Association gave gift cards. It wasn't an award, but a gesture of support. The society had nothing to do with these particular uh, gift cards. The agents should not have been in the crowd control business. They're not trained. Uh, the order was from Attorney General Barr. The bureau leadership should have pushed back, but didn't. Or maybe they did and it didn't work. Whatever. I'm going to scan through some more of this. They want to talk about how law enforcement officers in different jurisdictions around the country also did this thing. The FBI is under the Hatch Act. Those law enforcement officers are not. They can do things according to their police department policies or their sheriff's office policies. They are different than the Federal Bureau of Investigation, it turns out. Anyway, making making a lot of excuses. Then they talk about Charles McGonigal. This is the former special agent in charge of counterintelligence in New York. Uh, in the New York field office, he was indicted by several grand juries for receiving a bunch of money. He was appointed by Jim Comey, not director way. That's really funny. They literally call him out. They say that some reporting has linked him to crossfire hurricane. Yeah, because he was involved in crossfire hurricane and went after president Trump. But it says in the last sentence here, he was appointed special agent in charge by director Comey, not Chris Ray. They are literally carrying water for Chris Ray because it's not like Chris Ray was going to get rid of him. And it doesn't really matter who appointed him. He was a special agent in charge of a field office. I guarantee you he had time with the director. That's what they do, particularly in New York. That's an easy one. Uh, another story about a uh, SSA or a former special agent who's giving stories about this uh, Leonard uh, Peltier, who's a Native American guy who was shooting. I guess he was involved in a shooting in the 70s and he's up for parole. Doesn't really matter to us. For this purposes, these are not political things. That's just an old story. January 6th investigation, the society board secretary, Mike Anderson, posed the question raised to him about the number of people charged with misdemeanors versus felonies. The inference being investigative bias versus the right and not the left. This is a recurring theme that the FBI special agents, uh, former special agent society is dealing with. Yeah, no kidding. The issue is timely again. Here we go. Are you ready for this take? This is a hot one. Tucker Carlson was given exclusive access to footage of the January 6th brief at the Capitol by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican, California. He selectively edited the footage and reported on his evening Fox News show that the violence was overstated and much of the demonstrators were peaceful. Okay, they've taken the position here that's pretty hard to to back up. Carlson manipulated... The January 6th security footage giving the false appearance that the insurrection was mostly peaceful. Now, I saw Tucker Carlson last night. I think he does a really good job. He's actually hammering this home. Good for him. He continues to show what's going on. And there were a lot more peaceful people than not by an, like a huge margin um, that the people that even inside the Capitol that walked around by and large are being charged with things like parading, illegal parading and trespassing. Um, you know, a few of them are doing this, are getting threatened with this disruption of uh, official proceedings, things like that. But essentially, we're talking about people who are getting hit with misdemeanor charges. The FBI Agents Association is going to give you their take, or not the Agents Association, rather. This is the Society of Former FBI Agents. Here we go again. All right. Carlson manipulated the January 6th footage, giving the false appearance that the insurrection was mostly peaceful. Next paragraph, the Capitol breach was an insurrection. Declarative statement. (laughs) There was undeniable and significant violence. This is nonsense because nobody's been charged with insurrection and these people should actually know that. But this is the same group that recently put out a, uh, a call to all members saying they are looking for a former agent of color to star in a procedural TV show. 
about FBI agents dealing with crime, which is insane because that's not the way the FBI works. Anyway, uh, the demonstrators who breached the Capitol, even if nonviolent, did so illegally and not by entering through normal security checkpoints at a minimum, a minimum anyone breaching the Capitol was willfully blind. This is a really, really gross take. And it's a gross take that's not just the FBI management. These are the people that have retired at all levels that are getting these talking points. Why are they circling the wagons like that? I'm going to tell you why in just a second, because the follow-up to this was they invited the regional chairs and some of the people who are in charge of this society to meet with FBI Director Chris Ray at Quantico for a rare opportunity to sit down and circle the wagons and talk in April. And they're going to watch a new employee, you know, a new uh, agent class graduate, and they're going to have some nice time together so that they can get everybody on the same page because the FBI understands, the management of it understands, and so do the people that have given their life to it. They have no other identity, it turns out. So many of them do. The people that follow me up, that back with me and Steve Friend up, they have other lives. They have net worth that is outside of the FBI and the badge and their identity as a former agent. A lot of them, you probably would never know they were agents other than when you bring up, what did you do? Well, I'm retired. What did you retire from? I retired from the FBI. The people that are involved in this organization, at least the management leadership group of it, that's putting these kind of talking points out, this is the only identity they have. And if the FBI is besmirched, so is their life work and their reputation because I got nothing else to hang on. I met a lot of people like this towards retirement in the FBI. Like when I was working for Washington Field, I worked with guys that were on the edge of retirement. They had nothing else. They were not interesting people. They were not people who had another life going on. They gave everything they had to the Bureau, sadly enough, and they had nothing else to cling on to. We've all met people like that. Uh, guys who leave the military and they can't stop wearing their veteran hat. The guys that I like to meet, you find out they're a veteran on the third or fourth time you met them. Why? Because it's not part of their life. It's not something they have to share with you every single second. This is a little different animal. Now they're going to go in. They're going to take a hot take here. Regarding criminal charges, Dio J makes the prosecutive decisions. Everyone who breached the Capitol could have been charged with felony offenses. That is a hot take, by the way. Due to the anticipated number of people to be charged, DOJ opined to charge the less egregious offenders with misdemeanor offenses to clear the anticipated criminal docket backlog. No, the FBI and the and the DOJ got together and decided this was going to be the biggest case that's ever been worked. And that's why there were 16,000 hours in the, the weeks just after it. And there weren't that on the BLM riots, despite the kneeling. There's such an obvious and disgusting double standard being taken. It's just, it, it nauseates me. Um... I'm going to skip through some of this. They talk about some of the trials, Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, seditious conspiracy, you know, all all such a disgraceful situation. Oh, it's there's like so much breathlessness and, and pearl clutching. It makes you want to puke. And then they have a entire section on whistleblowers for more than a year. Senator Charles Grassley. This is great because these are former bureau agents and they can't even write or keep the facts straight. It's pretty typical of government work. So Senator Charles Grassley, Republican Jim Jordan have stated that numerous FBI whistleblowers have come forward to report on the politicization of the wrongdoings at DOJ and the FBI. Representative Jordan issued a report, blah, 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 on uh, November 4th. If you follow this podcast, I gave you a 30-minute uh, primer on that. This report will serve as a roadmap for the congressional hearings to be chaired by Representative Jordan over the next two years. It should be noted that neither Senator Grassley nor Representative Jordan are objective. Oh, well, that's an interesting take. They are driven by partisan motives, which preclude them from letting the facts get in the way. 
Ready for this one? Senator Jordan appears on Meet the Press in January of 2023, and it was clear that he has a narrow focus and predetermined the outcome of the hearings to be held. Um, so he just got promoted to senator. That's interesting. These people make just simple, stupid errors. The initial reports were that they were 19 whistleblowers. Subsequent report says between 24 and 30. Uh, the keys to considering regarding the whistleblowers coming forward, their allegations are indicative. Are their allegations indicative of systemic problems or are they presenting one-off grievances of individual issues? This is their take. This is the society of former FBI agents saying this. Thus far, issues appear to be more one-off and for the most part, lack credibility. If you follow this podcast, you know some of the things that I've made allegations of. Things like uh, Director Ray's jet. It's not up for debate that he used it the way he did. The question is why and whether or not he's criminally culpable for misusing 600000 to $2 million of American taxpayer-funded money on a jet that he doesn't own, that it wasn't made for him. It wasn't bought for him. That's a big deal. Was the FBI targeting veterans when they released the Militia Violent Extremist uh, symbols guide that has things like the Betsy Ross flag behind me, uh, things like the Gadsden flag, things like the 1835 Gonzalez battle flag. Was that a problem when they went after people like Mike Glover, who appeared on Tucker last night? Was that a problem when they named American contingency an online militia group with a low history of violence? Is that a one-off grievance by someone? If you think I'm not pissed about being kicked out of the FBI, of course I am. That was a great gig and it's all I wanted to do. But to think that the things that we are saying have something to do with our personal grievances. No, these things started long before we had any kind of negative record. Um, I actually just got my termination of my, my security clearance yesterday. They let me know that they terminated my security clearance, but they were waiting for me to say whether or not I agreed with them. And since I didn't contest it, then they're going to agree with themselves and they're going to definitely confirm their termination, which they've already confirmed, but now are, are reconfirming. It's a useless organization when it comes to the procedural things. These people are not honest operators. And this kind of stuff, this fluff job, this sort of like masturbatorial garbage from these former agents should make everybody puke. Here's another fun thing. At the Society Conference in Huntsville on October 14th, 2023, it seems like uh, people who get to these sort of leadership roles that assume leadership within either former FBI societies or the current, they have a real hard time like doing real dates. It's the same reason why a uh, deputy assistant director of human resources was referencing a letter that hadn't been written yet on why he agreed with why my uh, religious accommodation couldn't be accommodated. They hadn't even written the letter yet, but he knew in the future what was going to be. And apparently they know what's going to happen in October of 2023. I'm sure they had a typo because it's Deputy Director Paul Abate. Anyway, he said uh, he strongly supports those who come forward with protected disclosures as whistleblowers and that retaliation will not be tolerated. This is utter BS. It is complete trash. It is a false statement. It is a complete lie. They have 100% retaliated against whistleblowers. If anybody tells you otherwise, they are lying to you. If the FBI says it, they're lying. That's assumed. But these people are lying too because they have no idea what they're talking about. Um, now they're going to go and talk about two notable whistleblowers have received media attention, have been interviewed, include Steve Friend and Nicole Parker. Only one of those people is a whistleblower, by the way. Those of you who listen to the podcast know why. There is an actual definition of what a, a whistleblower is. Nicole Parker does not fit it. She has not done those things. I guess she could become a whistleblower. But up until this point, I have not heard of any of the protected disclosures she made. And Jim Jordan also was not aware of those things when he was on Sean Hannity's radio before she went out in front of the uh, the uh, congressional committee. No allegations made. So they said that her congressional testimony lacks specificity and specific allegations. That's all true. Agreed. Yeah. 
Steve Friend was interviewed by Jim Jordan's committee and various media outlets. He filed a whistleblower complaint with DOJ. Friend's claims were rejected by both entities, uh, the Office of Special Counsel and the DOJ Inspector General. That's false, as you heard here. They are opening those things up. They actually just return by SOP, Standard Operating Procedure, a de, uh, like a declination letter to every single person who sends it on so that they don't get accused of not following up on everything. Totally insane. This is the self-licking ice cream cone of the federal government. And then uh, they quoted the Washington Examiner. They quoted, no, they quoted the FBI's statement in the Washington Examiner making fun of Steve Friend. Uh, so that's pretty disgusting stuff. I don't know why these kind of things are there. I'll, I'll show you it real quick. But this is the uh, this is the final piece of it. If you haven't seen my Twitter account, by, the, by all means, go check this out. It was two days ago. I put it all out in long form. There's way more of it. And uh, I don't know how much of it is actually worth covering. There's something like eight pages of this. One thing I did think that was pretty amazing is that uh, Chris Ray said he's not going to breathlessly follow every allegation that is thrown their way. Okay, buddy. Thanks for that. They're not going to breathlessly follow all the allegations. Um, how about the allegations that you're going after people for protected First Amendment activity? That's been something that we've brought up quite a few times. In fact, it's the First Amendment to the Constitution. It should hold some water. The FBI loves to put a caveat on things like, listen, just because you have a Betsy Ross flag behind you on your podcast doesn't mean that you're a domestic violent terrorist, okay? But the fact that we uh, don't like you does, so we're going to monitor your First Amendment protected speech, which is why I'm sure... The FBI security division continues to watch this podcast. I hope they're giving us a five-star review. Anytime, guys, feel free. I've seen your one-star reviews. They're getting outweighed. We've got well over 300 five-star reviews coming in from people who liked it. So anyhow, um, I'm going to bring up a, an article here that should literally make your blood run cold. This is actually from justice.gov. This is the actual press release for the indictment that came out. This is not a recent thing. This happened in January of 2021. Okay, this was right after the Biden administration took over. And suddenly somebody who did something in advance of the presidential elections in October and November of 2016 was indicted under this. So if you're not uh, watching our Rumble channel and seeing this, once again, you can always go see the video there. But I'll read the article here. It's entitled actually it's a press release, so not an article. Social media influencer charged with election interference stemming from a voter disinformation campaign. This is really dark stuff. Defendant unlawfully used social media to deprive individuals of their right to vote. I'm going to say that again because that's patently insane. The defendant unlawfully used social media to deprive individuals of their right to vote. All right. For those of you that are using anonymous social media accounts, for those of you that are out there and are... Um, sharing your thoughts in, in uh, snarky and fun ways, I want you to be very, very cautious when you hear what this thing means, because it should scare the living hell out of you, number one. And number two, I would like you to put your real name out there and own your comments, because if you think the federal government can't find you, you're wrong. They can still find you. So you might as well own them. It shows you that you have some spine. That's the reason why I have my face and my name attached to mine. I'm going to own all my opinions. We're all responsible for every round we send down range, verbally or otherwise. And you might as well take ownership of it. A Florida man. Why is it always a Florida man, right? Anyway, a Florida man was arrested this morning. This is going back um, to 2021. So this is not current. On charges of conspiring with others in advance of the 2016 U.S. presidential election to use various social media platforms to disseminate misinformation designed to deprive individuals 
of their constitutional right to vote. I'm going to focus in on words for a second because they matter. Disinformation is a intentional use of things that are inaccurate. Misinformation is something that you don't know is inaccurate, but you're you're sharing it inaccurately anyway. These are their definitions, by the way, not mine. I think they're all BS. I think they're all called free speech. Do whatever the heck you want. The story goes like this. Douglas Mackey, a.k.a. Ricky Vaughn. Ricky Vaughn, if you don't know, was a, a famous, <laughs> he's a famous character in the movie Major League, played by Charlie Sheen, one of the great fun Americana types, a, uh, a pitcher that doesn't have any nerve, can throw a hard fastball, but doesn't have any control. And he has to get in touch with his wild side and his control side in order to be able to be an effective major league pitcher. It's a great story, major league, even though it's a comedy. And uh, so his name is Ricky Vaughn, already a serious start, I guess, with his AKA 31 years old of West Palm beach. He is charged by criminal complaint, oh, the criminal complaint again. If you follow this podcast, you know they use the criminal complaint to get around having to do a summons. This is how you can kick down doors because you get an arrest warrant right off the bat. In the Eastern District of New York, he was taken into custody this morning in West Palm Beach, made his appearance, initial appearance before Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt. Huh. It's almost like we've heard that name before, right in the Southern District of Florida. I'll leave Reinhardt alone for a little bit. Quote, according to the allegations of the complaint, The defendant exploited a social media platform to infringe on one of the most basic and sacred rights guaranteed by the Constitution, the right to vote. Never mind the uh, other sacred rights given by the First Amendment to the Constitution, the right to free speech and freedom of the press. This complaint underscores the department's commitment to investigating and prosecuting those who would undermine citizens' voting rights. Well, let's, let's restate that in a real way. What this does is this indictment was done to chill the social media activities of people who have a sense of humor and also happen to be pro-Trump in this case. That's what's going on there. If you think otherwise, you are sorely mistaken. There's no place in the public discourse for lies and misinformation to defraud citizens of their right to vote. It sounds like you must have done something really serious. If you are not following this case, by the way, um, you really need to be tuning in pretty soon. Oh, there's Bill Sweeney. Assistant director in charge of New York Fields office. He says that protecting an American citizen's right to cast a legitimate vote is the key to the success of our republic. What Mackey allegedly did to interfere with this process by soliciting voters to cast their ballots via text. Anybody here think that somebody actually cast their vote via text? That's really strange. The people who did send the text messages, by the way, they don't think that they voted that way. They don't even remember doing it. Um, They probably thought it was a gag as well. Ah, cast their votes by text amounts to nothing short of vote theft. It's a vote theft that nobody can prove because nobody knows if those those actual votes were stolen. That's incredible stuff. Okay. Well, this is what we're going to be going with in this Biden administration. This has been going on for two years. This guy is actually facing trial right now. I'm going to read a little bit from the New York Times article in just a second. I just want you to know that the the complaint alleges that in 2016, Mackey established an audience on Twitter of approximately 58,000 followers. I've actually got more followers than that right now. And an analysis of 2016, uh, sorry, in February 2016 by the MIT Media Lab ranked Mackey as the 107th most important influencer of the upcoming election. That sounds like some shady science, but okay. They ranked his account above individuals such as NBC News, which was 114th. Stephen Colbert, who is a comedian and not a particularly funny one at that. And Newt Gingrich who hasn't been an active player in politics for a little while. So this guy who was motivated and out there tweeting was a real big problem. 
And the complaint alleges that between September and November, the lead up to the November 8 election in 2016, the presidential election, he conspired to use social media with others, including Twitter, to disseminate fraudulent messages designed to encourage supporters of one of the presidential candidates to vote, quote unquote, vote via text message on social media, a legally invalid method of voting, a true joke. And that's what they went after him for. You can read more of this. You can go to DOJ. Uh, you can read if you type in justice.gov and type in M-A-C-K-E-Y. His name is Mackey, Douglas Mackey, also known as Ricky Vaughn. Check this guy out because it's nuts. I'm going to also bring up the New York Times piece here because I want to show you just how nasty the coverage is. This is actually from just two days ago. So here's the nasty coverage on the New York Times. Oh, there it is. Trial of the 2016 Twitter troll to test the limits of online speech. Douglas Mackey tried to trick black people into thinking they could vote by text in the Clinton-Trump presidential election, prosecutors said. I don't know about you. I have some friends who are black people. I cannot imagine them thinking they could vote by text. I can't imagine anybody of any color thinking they're going to vote for text by text. This is insane. This is a this is a crazy joke that is now going to land somebody in prison because we are not dealing with a fair process. This is a weaponized DOJ. This is what it looks like when the federal government's coming after you. Okay. Uh, images appeared in 2016. Uh, vote for Hillary. People standing, avoid the line. Vote from home. All this other nonsense. He called himself Ricky Vaughn. The defendant, Douglas Mackey, tried to steal people's right to vote. He didn't just steal their vote. He tried to steal their right to vote. Crazy. And he did it by spreading fraud. This is what they're telling the jurors. This is a this is a trial that's happening this week. This is ongoing stuff. They showed 5,000 people texted the number that were showing a deceptive image of a black woman standing in front of a sign saying, skip the line, vote for Hillary with some number. None of these people are actually lost their vote. Nobody can prove it. It's a sneaky graphic and it's designed to look very closely like a legitimate ad because it's a joke because it's a funny joke because the because the left can't meme as as they say. And yet this is what's going on. So the New York Times is basically going to talk about how he's awful. They're going to bring up the deplorable. That's incredible stuff. And they're going to show that people who are sympathetic to him, um, you know, they're trying to act like he's being attacked and they're wearing free Ricky shirts. But uh, really, you know, he's just a good dude. Um, yeah, he's just a guy who's an online Twitter troll, which is totally allowed in this country. You're allowed to have a sense of humor, but not under the Biden administration, it turns out. So that's all awful bad news and we need to be following this one very carefully and if there's a legal defense fund out there i haven't seen it but i will try to look it up and we should probably be supporting this guy in every way you can you should be letting your congress people know what what needs to be happening this stuff is totally banana republic there's no other way around it i told you i'd end on some good news i want to end on some good news out of california and that's pretty rare when it comes to the gun world as you guys probably know the Second Amendment is my favorite amendment. I have within reach of me right now two rifles, three handguns, and uh, I have a suppressed 22 pistol. That is my favorite thing to shoot right now. They are all illegal to own in the state of California, and I think that is atrocious. In the same way my father-in-law told me it was atrocious that I was allowed to own an AR-15, I think it's atrocious that people in California can't defend themselves with a modern weapon that's not on some stupid list that the state of California vets based on people who don't know about guns. So here's the good news. This is coming from uh, our friend John Solomon at Just the News. Um, the writer is Ben Whedon, and the article is entitled, Californians have the right to quote-unquote state-of-the-art handguns. 
judge rules. Let's bring that home. The California Rifle and Pistol Association brought the suit. A federal judge has ruled that California's handgun roster unlawfully restricts the handgun purchases to a list of set models and has effectively denied residents the use of modern firearms. Kaboom. Quote, this is from uh, District Judge Cormac J. Carney. What a great name, Cormac J. Carney. It says, quote, Californians have the constitutional right to acquire and use state-of-the-art handguns to protect themselves. They should not be forced to settle for decades-old models of handguns to ensure that they remain safe inside or outside of their homes. Oh yeah, because California also has to grant concealed carry permits now after the Bruin decision. We are moving towards freedom America. God bless it. Uh, what does they say here? Because enforcing those requirements uh, implicates the plain text of the Second Amendment and the government fails to point any well-established historical analogs that are consistent with them, those requirements are unconstitutional and their enforcement must be preliminarily enjoined the california unsafe handgun act or uha was enacted in 1999 it has a roster if you've never been to california and tried to buy a gun they have a roster of what you can and can't buy they've got ridiculous waiting periods i don't even know how long they are but i remember that i went to go buy a shotgun and this must have been shoot probably 20 2005 2006 something like that i bought a a coach gun a cheap one from a big five sporting goods and when i finally got it after the 14 day waiting period i came and picked up my new gun i was super excited and i opened it up and on the stock was a huge scratch because they didn't let me inspect the hand or the rifle shotgun whatever it is it's like a short long gun um before <laughs> i wasn't able to inspect it before buying it and so I was like, oh, can you give me another one? And they were like, uh, yeah, we can. But it's another 14 days because it's a different serial number than the one that you have. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And they said, no, we are not kidding you. That is not what we do here. We just tell you the truth. And the truth is you have to do another 14 days. I said, give me my money back. I want nothing to do with your stupid state. And I don't want to buy stupid guns from your stupid state. So that's how it works in California. It's not a good thing. Uh, you shouldn't be happy about it, but it is the nature of the beast. Uh, that being said, thankfully, we are now getting a little bit of sensibility and we are catching just a little bit more movement towards a free America. I'm going to be bringing up something here real quick. There we go. And um, folks, that is our show for the day. I'm very appreciative of all of our listeners. We are getting more listeners all the time. We are getting a number of you uh, joining us at all times, and it is fantastic stuff let me see if i can pull up one of these five-star reviews um if you enjoyed the kyle seraphin show please share it with your friends you can like you can share you can subscribe if you leave a comment i re respond to almost all of them on rumble if you leave a, a five-star review we can read some of them on the air here's a good one from marcus Rogge, r-o-g-g-e i don't know who that is i like that name marcus he says wonderful show i started to listen to you after hearing you on dan bongino's show fair my first experience with you made me die with laughter regarding your wordplay antics i'm very curious what those were but i'm truly enjoying your interviews and your thoughtful analysis of the situations you and your colleagues have brought to light i really appreciate this program and i hope that will be a long-term success for you thanks marcus i hope it will be too and it will be if you visit our sponsors and uh, if you keep liking it sharing it subscribing it moving it around letting people know that it is out there we're going to keep doing them on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays. You can expect another version of this 
on Friday. And uh, until that time, feel free to go back and listen to our long form interview with Aaron Stevenson, a DHS whistleblower who came to Project Veritas and is also sharing some information I have never heard anywhere else. I hope that you will consider giving that a long listen. And uh, we will see you on Friday when you're done with it. Thanks so much for listening, y'all. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Truth at Kyle Serafin.